Susan. Hey. How often have you been distracted since the last time we talked? <laughs> Continually. I was remember I told you I was distracted when we were talking. Yeah, like the whole episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't listen to anything she said in the last episode, apparently. <laughs> no, it, well, I was distracted by things you were actually saying, but it was sending me somewhere else in my mind by the things you were saying because I was thinking about the topic. How long do you think you could think about one thing before you start thinking? Like, let's say, how long can you think about an apple before you start thinking about something else? Oh, like <laughs> one second. One second? <laughs> I, one I mean, second? I like, <laughs> well, I was going to say, I thought you were going to ask a different question, but I would feel like if you're not interested in something, you're not going to think about it very long. Yeah. You're not interested in apples? I'm actually not interested in apples. At all? <laughs> um, really not at all. I went to an I went to an orchard recently, the one that your family likes to go to, and I met the man who plants all the apples, and I asked him about it, and I realized there's so much I don't know about apples, and probably because I'm not very interested. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's there's only like, what, three kinds of apples? No, that's what was so interesting. There are so many. Yeah. I know that's not what this podcast is about, but there are so many. This episode <laughs> is brought to you by Fuji Apples. Uh, I it, learned that the Jonathan Apple is the most versatile, in case anybody is wondering. Like it can do sports and the arts? <laughs> yes, basically. Yeah. It's a good eating apple. It's a good pie-baking apple. Okay. I don't know what else you do with apples, but... <laughs> They <laughs> can do those two things. <laughs> Pies and eating, uh, which are both eating. All right, if you are just joining us, um, this is actually the second installment of a four-part series. So if you didn't listen to the first uh, episode, we encourage you to really go back and listen to that episode uh, because a lot of this will be building on top of that and a lot of things will not be said in this episode uh, assuming that you've already listened to the previous one so if you've also noticed uh, if we sound a little bit different it's because our setup's a little bit different because uh, I am quarantined right now um, so things are a little bit different I'm not sick um, but the potential of sickness is always around us yeah <laughs> we're ready for this to be done and we're ready for the next thing. But thankful to technology, we can still connect. So if we sound a little bit different, that's that's why. All right, Susan, you ready to jump in? Always. Let's All right. go. So we're, like I said, uh, second episode, uh, we are talking about we lack the ability to stay focused long enough on not just the right thing, but on anything. Mm. So we, we just are non-focused people like by nature, like mm -hmm. we just cannot do it. So when I taught this class, I um, asked everybody to pick a wall in the room. And if you've never been to RYM, uh, most of the rooms that you teach in are literally four walls that are white and there's nothing in the rooms. It's probably the most dull space <laughs> you could ever take a class in. Uh, so I had all the students pick a wall, didn't matter which one, and I said, stare at that wall for a whole minute and think about that wall. If you're a teenager and you're asked to do that, 
what would go through your mind? I would probably give it a good hearty try for a minute. And then my mind would go, if I'm a teenager, it probably would go to the things that are either bothering me or like, I mean, as a teenager, I was always thinking about boys. So I probably would have been thinking about my crush or like if I was on a trip with them, I'd be like, Ooh, when are we going to see each other next? So (laughs) something, something totally opposite of a wall where there's like no input, you know? So what's your thought process? Like, how do you jump from one thing to the next? Me, it's pretty random. Like, um, I think for that, just like when your mind wanders, the reason I was saying that is like, I feel like whatever is taking up the most space of, I don't know, you're, I guess you're going to get into the science of all this and I'm probably going to say something really wrong. But I was thinking of like, what is taking up um, space in your subconscious that you're like chewing on that maybe you're not actively thinking about or maybe you're not actively worried about but like when given a task to focus that that noise kind of comes out because there's the ability to kind of let your brain your mind wanders to that place that's like oh I can't figure this out or oh I'm interested in this and so that kind of comes back out so more like when your mind is let free it starts to wander back to those things that are actually holding like a lot of importance in your, in your brain. I, again, I don't know the brain science behind any of it. So that probably sounds stupid, but, um, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like everybody has like a, you know, train of thought, like there's a process to the way that they think or they, you know, trail off into a, a certain, like, how did, how did we get talking about cats and spaceships? Uh, and then you, you back up and then you realize, oh, this teacher told me to think about this wall. And obviously I got bored really fast. So then I started thinking mm-hmm. about squares because I was looking at a square on a wall. And then the square got me thinking about shapes in general. And then I'm like, what's the coolest shape in my head? A rocket ship. And then like from there, I was thinking about a picture that I saw of like a cat sitting in a rocket ship. So I have com- coined a phrase uh, not the theory, but I've coined the phrase of spiral of distraction. Ooh, I like it. So, you know, how I was talking about, like, our train of thought, you know, how did we end up talking about this? And there's actual science behind, like, how does this all work and how has this gotten worse over the years? So I've used this phrase called the spiral of distraction to show, like, wh- it's like almost an infinite amount of, like, depth we've gone into the process of becoming distracted from things so one there's there's the thing you're supposed to be focusing on right so for the kids i i said focus on this wall and then you know that's that's before step one that's just the thing you're supposed to be focused on and then the process of distraction goes like this first you have the source of distraction like what is going to distract you and then from there you're gonna your mind is gonna switch to a new task like it's going to start thinking about that new thing all of a sudden and in your brain what happens when you do that because you're so bored in the moment um, your brain rewards you for alleviating that boredom Um, because Mm. the brain doesn't like boredom it doesn't like to feel that the feeling so it puts something else in front of you and your brain rewards you for for reaching out out after that thing and it feels good to, to, to get a hold of that thing mentally. Uh, and then after that, that was step three. 
you all of a sudden have an increased rate of boredom. So you are now bored at a quicker rate than you were before. So then step five, you have a rapid increase of intake um, that is non-effective. So you have more, um, more of a desire to switch, to find something new to think about. So you, you, the spiral becomes quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. And then we switch more frequently. And then lastly, we have this lasting increased need of distraction. So you're no longer just distracted by one thing. Uh, you're now distracted just constantly. Uh, you just cannot focus. And so that's kind of, that's what the, the science is telling us. And so my question for you, Susan, is does this sound familiar at all? Totally. What does it sound like? Well, well, it was making me think of an example of something I realized probably two years ago. We had um, some of my girls over, some of my D group girls over to watch a movie with my family. And it was a movie I really wanted them to watch because we were going to talk about it afterwards. And I realized that was like one of the first times I ever realized for some people it is impossible to watch a movie without scrolling on their phone. Mm-hmm. But that was like like a movie sitting and watching a movie without anything else going on was impossible. Yeah, and I was like, that's so strange. I remember being like, that's so sad. But now <laughs> I do the same thing. It's like if I'm watching TV, I'm also like scrolling through my phone, and I'm not doing I'm not doing either of those things well. Yeah. Um, but when you said like the increased need of distraction, it's like a TV show is not enough. It's like um, this is not that interesting. So I'll listen to it while I try to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. So this process, when you break it down like this, when you have these seven steps to the process of distraction, like how do we, how do we get to this point? How do we get to the point to where we're having to scroll on our phone and watch TV at the same time and also listen to the kids in the background and also, you know, think like I'm hungry. I need to eat at the same time. Like how do, how did we get to that point? Uh, Because that is really extremely Mm -hmm. unique to our uh, generation and time of life where we're at Mm -hmm. as a developed world and country and like how did we get to that point and it's the same exact process as addiction Um, this is how addiction works so think about those seven steps that I just listed out and this is the you know uh, definition according to centeronaddiction.org uh, on how addiction works. This is their, their own definition. Addiction is a complex disease, often chronic in nature, which affects the functioning of the brain and body. It also causes serious damage to families, relationships, schools, workplaces, and neighborhoods. The most common symptoms of addiction are severe loss of control, continued use despite serious consequences, preoccupation with using failed attempts to quit, tolerance, and withdrawal. So these, I, I listed the, the seven um, steps of the spiral of distraction, and it's almost exactly the same as far as somebody falling into alcoholism or uh, sex addic- addiction or um, drug addiction, any of that. It's the same process. You start by giving in one time, right? And then your brain rewards you for that. And then you have this increased desire for that thing and so you have a rapid increase of intake of that thing and then you're constantly just looking to fill that void and the void gets bigger and bigger and bigger Um, and the science is saying that this when we feed what i call another 
phrase, when we feed our boredom monster, um, it's just going to leave it, <laughs> leave us hungrier and hungrier um, mm. a, as we're trying to take an intake. And that's exactly how addiction works with bad things. Um, so can I ask a question yeah. along that line? Yeah. So as you're saying that, are you saying even with destruction, like I know how with some addiction, when you say your brain rewards you, is that like the same as other things? Like it rewards you with dopamine and there's actually like a chemical exactly. firing going yeah. on. Okay. It's, it's the same brain process. Like the same thing is That's happening crazy. in your brain. crazy. And as I read this, this quote on how addiction works and like what happens when you become addicted to something, Think of like the, the tragedy of like what addiction does to a community or to a household or whatever is like you have a you have a severe loss of control. There's damage to relationships and schools and workplaces and neighborhoods. And if we thought on that level of how not only we engage with um, drugs or drinking, but we also like realize the weight of how we deal with our boredom can end in s like similar tragic relationship fallouts. Um, it's, it's similar issues and I'm not saying like, um, boredom is, you know, cocaine, but I'm saying <laughs> boredom can take us to like how we deal with our boredom can take us to, um, the same level of brokenness, the way that cocaine can, um, obviously. Well, and I think, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Obviously cocaine is, you know, a very serious drug that literally alters the mind, but the way you deal with boredom and the way you deal with distraction can can lead to similar results. Well, and I think we said a little, we talked a little bit about this the last episode, but as you're saying that, I'm just thinking, I think because um, a lot of the things that you and I are talking about, about being distracted by, are seemingly okay or they're socially acceptable um, or they feel benign in the moment whether that's like checking um, your text messages all day long while you should be engaging with your children, like just the fallout of small, small compromises that add up to be something really big that become a habit and an addiction and exactly what we're talking about, that it's like, no, this isn't cocaine, but this is extremely serious to, to take seriously the effects of what are we doing with our boredom and our distraction. That's very scary to me. Hmm. Yeah. It, and it, in some levels it should. So like the whole, when I, I was sitting with the students and they were feeling like it, it almost felt like accusatory, like, Hey, don't do these things. I, I taught this class um, because it's helpful for a lot of age groups. This is helpful for adults. It's helpful for teenagers. The whole point of this is to help people understand the reality of the world we sit in. Like, what what is our human condition right now? Like, why do we function the way that we do? And this has a huge part of the process. Um, so I wasn't saying, like, you're an addict and you need to, like, put away these things and go get help or whatever. A lot of this, especially in this episode, is like just statistics I want to put in front of you for you to see the, mm -hmm. the weight of the world we sit in and how big of an issue this is uh, and also see how the gospel can enter into this issue. And that, that's the, the, like, the bigger point to this is like there's sin and destruction and issues have always been a part of humanity. This is one of just our 
biggest ones that we deal with in today's society. So I want to put the information in front of y'all so we can talk about it um, with the gospel lens and how to enter in the gospel with that. So with that being said, w- if we're on the same page saying like boredom, distraction, like the things that lead us to distraction are really a big issue on, the, on a similar level as far as being addicted to a lot of other things, um, let's look at the statistics if you're still not convinced. So 55% of adults access their phone while driving their car. Uh, that is a scary statistic, uh, if you Mm -hmm. ask me. Uh, You're operating a a huge piece of machinery at high speeds, and you are trusting that everyone around you that is operating also the same piece of machinery is giving full attention to that. I don't think Mm -hmm. we've, we've been driving for so long and we've become so competent at our driving skills that we feel like it's so second nature, I can do something else while doing it. And yet, um, fatalities of car accidents is extremely, extremely too high. Um, So 55% of, these are people who admit um, to using their phone. (laughs) Uh, And all these statistics are just people who admit these things. So 55% of adults access their phone while driving the car. 33 or 35% use their smartphone in a movie theater. To Susan's point, like we can't just watch a movie, um, which is extremely obnoxious. Just yes, because that light is so bright. <laughs> yeah, especially in a dark room. Thirty-three percent use uh, use their phone on a dinner date. Thirty-two percent cannot resist checking their smartphone during their child's school function. I don't always blame you for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> That's probably the one where I'm just like, I, I feel you on that one. Like that's, that's, <laughs> thank you, smartphones. You know, it's really helpful. Uh, 19% admit using their phone during church. I think that statistic is way higher. It's probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. Uh, it's way higher. <laughs> 12% use their phone in the shower. I can attest to that. Um, Everybody was like, I have so many questions about that. Yeah. People are like, have questions about that. And then I'm like, you know what? I've used my phone in the shower before. I'm not going to. How? Do you have like a waterproof case? No, it's a waterproof phone. I'm not like in the shower, like, (laughs) I'm not like texting, (laughs) but it's like, you know, I'll reach out and like change the song if I have like a speaker in the shower or whatever. Um, (laughs) I would qualify that as use in the shower. So. Okay. That's valid. That's valid. Um, 9%, 9%, this this statistic was really funny to do in front of teenagers, 9% of people <laughs> use their phone during sex. And, of course, teenagers like, well, why would you do that? And I'm like, people have become desensitized to what it's supposed to be. That's, that's the result of pornography, um, if you ask me. Uh, and s- 75% of adolescents, again, ages 12 to 24, sleep with their phone, 75% sleep with their phone next to their bed with ringer on or on vibrate. Um, And there are countless studies to show like how um, your phone is a distraction to you, even when you're sleeping, like countless studies. Tell me more about that. Uh, Well, um, we don't have time to get into all that. I I just tried to summarize that. The, The whole thing about having your phone in your room or a smartphone is always in the back of your mind is, um, am I going to get a notification? 
you're never all getting gotcha. full rest. It's always on the back burner. And even when you're sleeping, we've become overly sensitized to our need to get a notification that we are, uh, our bodies are more willing to sleep more lightly if um, we know that we will be woken up by a notification and receive that immediate gratification of opening that notification. Oof. It's unreal uh, what the phone does just by being in the room. Um, if you have it in a different room or in a different location or it's out of notification reach, you will sleep and rest a whole lot better. Um, That's crazy. You can find all more on that on any of the books that I've referenced um, in this series. They talk about that in a lot of different ways. Um, that is almost um, an episode in and of itself to talk about just like Let's go. the that issue so of that. Um, so fascinating. But I'm just going to say like it's just bad. It's just bad to have your phone in the room while you're trying to sleep. And I'm guilty. I, I do. Um, I'm guilty of it because we feel like we need it. And we'll talk about it in just a minute. Like, what is this actually doing to us? But this, the sleep studies are just incredible. Long story short, we are addicted to distraction. Like, we need to always be distracting ourselves. And the question is, why? And this is what we found out. We find ourselves more bored than ever if we go back to the spiral mm -hmm. of distraction. We are just constantly needing to feed that boredom monster. We need to always be getting ourselves out of that feeling of feeling bored. Your brain wants it. We need it. Um, other reasons is we have FOMO, Susan. We have fear <laughs> of missing out, right? My life motto. Yeah. <laughs> yes. that That is in and of itself like a, a huge thing that wasn't a reality until um, our generations became ultra connected through technology. And because we can be everywhere all at once – we fear missing out on something when we could have had the chance to be a part of it because we're super connected. We'll talk about that. Uh, nomophobia, which is, again, this goes to the sleep study. We have a, we have a fear. <laughs> did you make up that word? I, no, I did not make that up. This is a real <laughs> word. This is a new word that they put in the dictionary. Nomophobia is fear of being out of mobile phone contact. Yeah. I laugh, but I totally get that. Which is why we sleep with our phones. <laughs> or when you're leaving the house, like, where's my phone? Or my phone, keys, and wallet. But phone is always first. Um, I would much rather be robbed and my wallet be taken before my phone is taken. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure why. It's like it would be much. It's probably more in my phone than in my wallet, to yeah. be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> so no, nomophobia. I did not make that up. That is a real scientific term. Um, that sounds ridiculous. Um, but that's the world we live in. And uh, fourth uh, fourth point, and we have a whole episode on this, is virtual world versus real world, living two lives simultaneously. We are constantly trying to navigate um, living in two places at once. Um, it is, people don't think of it in that, in that sense, but we, we have a virtual personality and we have a physical personality and we try to maintain both simultaneously. And that is incredibly distracting as a human being to try to be two people at once. So if you want to know more about that, check out that episode. Um, that was a really interesting, a lot of interesting studies on that as well. So what, what is this doing to us is we're, we're starting to develop a habit and a need of multitasking and task switching. There is a difference between the two of those.
Susan, can you count from one to ten? Yes. Do you want me to do it? <laughs> yeah, just do it real fast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. Recite A to J. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. All right. List off A, one to J, ten. Oh, goodness. A, one, B, two, C, three, D, four, E, five, F, six. Oh, my gosh. This is so hard. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, seven, H, eight, I, nine, J, ten. Wow. That yeah. Was yeah. That is the reality <laughs> of multitasking. Uh, you're trying to do two things simultaneously, okay? Mm. Uh, and how much slower was that? Like, you could count 1 through 10 like it was nothing. You could do A through J like it was nothing. To put them both together and to recite them at the same time was ridiculously slower and more difficult. And hard. And hard. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, Very it, hard. It's harder than you think it is. So... It, as a definition, multitasking is when you put two things together or multiple things together and do them simultaneously at the same time. Um, task switching, which is where we function more, and we don't use this phrase, is when we're, we're accomplishing multiple things while rapidly switching from one thing to the next and going back and forth in order. So a uh, common way to think about this is, you know, when you're on a computer and you have do you have multiple desktops open or uh, multiple tabs open up on the top of your your, your bar? Uh, or do you work on one thing, close it out, and then open another thing when you're done with that thing? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. the multiple tabs. <laughs> the multiple tabs. And what uh, my argument is, like, why that's a bad thing is the more you have open, the slower the computer runs, the quicker it dies off. Um, it can't sustain that for a long period of time. And so you're not, at that point, multitasking. When you switch from tab to tab and you go back and forth between things, you're task switching. When you're watching TV and folding the laundry at mm -hmm. the same time, that's multitasking. Um, mm. So there, there's a difference. And our big issue is not necessarily with multitasking. Uh, multitasking is already kind of, to my point, um, proven as not really helpful to get things done well and to get things done fast. Um, we need to recognize our issue with task switching and how detrimental that is to us and relationships and us and uh, distraction. Uh, we're, we're distracted because we're constantly task switching between things. And so we're never giving full presence um, to what we're currently doing because we're thinking about what am I going to do next? Like, what can I do next and not being in the moment? All right, we've got more statistics here. To, so if you don't believe me, here, here's what the science says. So from current middle school to college students, they have three to five minutes of focus on one thing. They cannot focus. That stresses me out. Yeah. It's not very much focus. Yeah, three to five minutes where they can give something its full attention. Uh, again... Go on YouTube, look at the average length of videos. As soon as you bump over that five-minute mark, um, the viewership is way down. So interesting. Unless it's a compilation of short videos. Uh, that's <laughs> the, the only way. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only way you can bypass it. That's why TikTok is a thing. That's why Vine was a thing. That's why Snapchat's a thing. That's how their attention span works. And those things have made their attention span worse. Um, it's fed into that boredom monster because uh, they can get video after video after video after video, um, and 
the shorter the videos, the shorter attention span they're going to have over a long period of time. So fascinating. We'll keep going here. So if you pick up your, we pick up our phone on an average of 27 times a day. That doesn't sound too bad, but then there's this other stuff. As 42% or 55% of adolescents pick up, pick up their phone to kill time. 23% pick it up even when there's something specific to do. So they might have something to do, but they want to be distracted. So they'll pick up their phone anyways. 95% uh, report media multitasking occupying a third of their day, meaning they are using their phone while doing something else simultaneously. So just imagine um, how inappropriate messages might be sent because they're not fully thinking about what they're sending or think about how less um, work they're putting into probably something more realistic, what they should be, like their homework or work work or being present with an actual person, um, how much they're not giving to that because mm. they're trying to um, simultaneously work on something else. So think back to, to Susan trying to uh, count A, A1 through J10. Um, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's way worse. Uh, we check our phone 150 times per day or every six to seven minutes we are awake. Goodness gracious. That's a lot. That's awful. Uh, 50% check their phone in their bed. I think that statistic is higher, should be higher. 33% use their phone on the toilet. Again, I think that I should definitely be higher. Definitely think that's higher. <laughs> I, think that's, I think it's 100%. Let's, let's be I honest. was going to say, who doesn't use their phone on the toilet these uh, days? Yeah. Uh, 30% use their phone while eating. Um, so they, this is just reporting the facts. They've done tons of studies on this. You can find this in the books, um, that we've already recommended and that we've read in preparation for, uh, these podcasts. So if you want to know more about those things, um, feel free to check those out. So we have lost the ability to single task. If you look at the statistics, this is what's true, uh, which results in worse performance or higher stress levels as we feel a constant need to check in. We cannot focus long enough to do anything at the same level we used to do it. You know, it would sound like an old person, like not like, <laughs> not like our parents. Uh, we sound like, you know, like they never, they don't build things like they used to. It's true. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just absolutely true because we're having to do so many things all at once because we can um, and now that we can, that's the expect- expectation is that we do multiple mm. things at once. That's why, like, people switch jobs more frequently. Um, dissatisfaction goes way through the roof uh, because you don't actually get to be present uh, where you're at. That's uh, why burnout uh, happens with sports. Uh, they're trying to do too much all at once. It's just there's so many things that go into that. We just We just don't have the ability to do it anymore and the stress levels just go through the roof they don't want to deal with it so we just quit the quitting level is through the roof as well so this is one of the issues speaking into that is just our constant need of checking in uh, and this is what it says on that we've increased our internal interruptions um, so when we're thinking like i need to check in with this person while you're checking in, when you're physically like checking in with somebody, you're thinking like, I also need to check in with this other person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Susan, can you, can you speak to that? <laughs> oh, totally. Cause I think 
it's it's hard and I think this is what which I think we need to name it's hard when there's something that's really good that also becomes really bad like it's great to be able to check in on somebody and phones make that where like oh, if I have a minute but I'm waiting on Jack at his basketball practice I can shoot carry a quick text to say like hey how was your day that's a really good thing because if I had to wait to go home to call her it probably wouldn't happen you know so like those are good things but then that spiral just keeps going because then my mind goes to someone else I'm like ah, I haven't heard from them in a while I should check in and so it's like it ne- it has no end um yeah and it be- can become all-consuming for yeah. sure yeah and for me personally as a mom that can sometimes take precedence over being present with my children who are actually asking me to pay attention to them where I'm reaching out to someone who hasn't asked me to pay attention to them. Yeah. And that will take over 20 minutes yeah. of a check-in that's probably not ultimately that good of a check-in. Yeah. And that's where I feel like is is hard with me. It's like, I feel like I can check in with 30 people in a day. And then at the end of the day, I'll feel like, man, I should have checked in with that person a little bit more or, or given them the attention that they deserved. Um, because I heard that they say something and I was too worried about checking with in with this other person that I just let it go by rather than being in the moment. Um, and I totally missed it. Then I'm stressed out. And then like, that's where the lack of sleep comes in is like, you're thinking about that one person whom you didn't fully give your attention to. And you're like, I really should have spent more, you know, quality time with that person. Um, and we lose sleep over that, which is one of the issues with this is we lose sleep, which results in improper for teenagers. It results in improper brain development and riskier behavior. Lack of sleep leads to just unhealthy humans. Um, God wired us to be, to sleep and to trust him while we sleep and know that he's going to care for us while we sleep. And when we don't do that, we don't fully develop into who we're supposed to be. Um, we're supposed to rest from the day that we've had and rest for the day that's up ahead. If we don't do that, both days are, are worse for it. From, from that, lack of sleep also leads to anxiety and stress and depression, uh, huge issues there. Um, we've talked, you can talk constantly about anxiety and stress and depression with teenagers. Um, but a lot of that, a lot of that just comes from poor sleep habits. Again, tons of studies on um, sleep uh, being one of the most important things for teenagers, but also the number one loss of current teenagers. Teenagers are sleeping less than they ever have. And mm. a, a lot of it has to do with our constant need to be connected and our constant um, feeding of our distractors and our constant ability to be online and staying up later. I have this theory that athletes are, are more injury prone today than they ever have because they're not, their workload isn't any different, but because they have a sleep problem, they're not getting the right amount of sleep. They're pushing their, their homework hours later because they're having micro interruptions throughout uh, the time mm-hmm. of doing their homework because they're always checking their phone whenever a notification goes off. And as we know for teenagers, that's, constant so every time a notification goes off they have this habit of having to check their phone which then takes them back to having to do their homework um, and restart the homework process every three to five minutes you know it's just i i truly cannot imagine that because i am so distracted distractible and i remember the first time a student telling me this was years ago (laughs) 
<laughs> and I remember her being like, yeah, like I am exhausted because it takes me like six hours to do my homework every night. And I was like, six hours. Yeah. She's like, no, I'm not. I am not kidding you. It takes me six hours. I was like, okay, you have to walk me through that. How in the world is that taking you six hours? And I realized it's because they are, you know, a friend needs something for a homework. A friend wants to talk real fast. It's like mm-hmm. constant. Well, what'd you say? I, it's not on the on the stuff we have in front of us right now, but I think John said like every six to seven minutes, um, yeah. you're either yeah. checking your phone or you know. And I think about trying to accomplish high level. You know, when you're in high school, you're doing like high level work and yeah. trying to come in and out of your mind from trigonometry to talking to a friend about something to back to trig. Like, where am I? I I can't imagine, yeah. and of course they're sleep deprived. Yeah, and I don't know if we'll get to this statistic, but it, it talks about, um, you know, we have, let's say we have an interruption every six to seven minutes. And if you're a student trying to get homework done uh, on like hard stuff, like you're, let's say you're an AP class, you know, it actually takes every time you start a heavy cognitive process, so you have to think a whole lot, they say it takes about 30 minutes to get into the rhythm and about two minutes to get out of that rhythm. So you really have to put uh. yourself in a good study state in order to study well. So if a student is interrupted or allowing themselves to be interrupted every six to seven minutes, so, you you know, on the seven minute, maybe you have a three-minute conversation. There's, you know, that takes you out of the study mode, and then you have to build back up to 30 minutes to get back to where you were before you got interrupted. And then you got to study some more and hope in those 30 minutes you're not interrupted again. It's just that's why it takes six hours to do homework, which should really only take you about an hour to do it well. Uh, because the pressure to do well in school hasn't gone down. Um, so right. people still want to give uh, – they're not grasping the concepts as fast as they should because they're constantly being interrupted. Fascinating stuff that I've, oh. I've tested on a small level, and I, th- I firmly believe it. So – if you want your kid to do better in school, and a lot of people are doing this, is they're taking their phones away during uh, homework time. And schools are taking away phones during school time as well. And I, I don't, I think that's advisable in a lot of scenarios. I really do. Um, they're not needed. So last couple things is 66 or 77% of adolescents fear losing or being without their phone prior to that. Uh, so we're rapidly growing at, at things be in all places at all times and it, because of that it's led to a rise of depression because the reality is people know that they can't do it but they still feel obligated to do it which is one of the big reasons I don't get on social media um, I just I just don't have the time or space for it um, so again results in we're never fully present we're never able to be fully where we're supposed to be we have our constant need to be in all places at all went uh, all at once has led us to never being fully present to where we are because we can no longer distinguish between what is relevant and irrelevant. Uh, we can't, we've Ooh. lost the ability to prioritize in our lives because we, everything's so in front of us and, you know, it feels good to be able to be at all places at all times. It feels good to be omnipresent. That is something like manipulated within us to, to know all things that we don't even care or know how to navigate um, between good and bad, which is horrible, horrible. So with that, uh, what does our attempt at omnipresence do to us? Uh, One, 
We cannot distinguish between relevant and irrelevant information. Focusing on relevant information is equally as important to ignoring irrelevant, irrelevant information when we are wanting to accomplish our goals. I have to read it again. I'm struggling. So, uh, focusing on what is relevant is as important as ignoring what is irrelevant. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. If, if we want to accomplish our goals. So, where we're at in society now is that we give equal value to everything. Um, we give equal value to being present at school as we do as watching that TikTok video. Hmm. And what, what happens when we do stuff like that? We, we misprioritize. We, we put things in places where they don't belong. This is the story of humanity. This is the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, they lost vision of the fact that God's word is superior to any other um, person or thing's word. Or word. Um, when you think about, he gave dominion over the creatures of the earth. He gave Adam and Eve dominion over the creatures. But then they gave the same amount of uh, attention and awareness to a serpent, um, to a, a, a beast, or to an animal as they did to God. So they listened to God as much as they did to the serpent, which led to their downfall, right? Mm -hmm. This is a big issue, not only to uh, today's culture, that's just a big issue to survival. I mean, as a person, like if you don't prioritize well, you're not going to last very long. This generation may struggle because they we have not given them the ability to prioritize or we've made it harder for them to put the right priorities in the right place. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Uh, it's always really obvious to me how much, how many things I'm distracted by. Like when we go on a youth retreat or when I'm like on a vacation with my family, I pretty much ignore my phone. I like don't look at it at all. There's no desire to look at it. And there's a piece of me when I'm in like normal life, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to get rid of social media on my phone. I'm done with it. It's too distracting. It takes up too much time. There's always that piece of me that's like, ah, like, but I won't be able to connect with like college people. There's always a like, but, uh, but then I realize like I never miss it when I'm away from it. I never miss it. I'm never like, Oh, I wonder what I, but but it's one of those things that you're saying, a it's hard to prioritize when something becomes so habitual. And I always think back over a day, like, what are the things I remember? I never remember what I have looked at on my phone in the course of a day. That's not something that normally, because I'm not like researching things or reading really important things. It's like I'm checking in on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest. But the things that stick out to me in the day are like actual face-to-face -face interactions or connections that were real. And I think it is really hard learning to prioritize just how different those things are. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's um, one of our jobs as youth workers is to work alongside parents to help students prioritize their relationships. And, you know, we're, we're working on the front of your number one priority is Jesus. Your number two priority is your parents. Your number three pri priority are your peers. And quite frankly, uh, most teenagers have that inverted. Yeah. And, and that's a sad reality. Um, and how, how can we walk alongside them to help them recognize if you want really good friendships, you got to start at Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if you want really good 
parent relationships, you got to start at Jesus. And so do the parents. Like that's, everybody's got to be on that level. And that's like one of the, the big factors of scripture is it's saying like, if you really, if you want to live life to the fullest, if you want to live life freely, uh, it's got to fit within these parameters and it's got to fit within this priority list. Um, You can't, you can't go in a different direction. So when, when we, we try to create this omnipresence, we increase our odds of, of missing the most important information. We have this all, I mean, when you, you go down any street with advertisements, you have a hard time focusing on the road because your eyes shifted towards the advertisement, like the billboard. Um, but I have here a picture of like going to like a sports bar when there's like multiple games going on and you don't know, I don't know where to focus my brain. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I should talk to the person at the table with me, if I should watch the baseball game or I should watch like the hockey game. And then you realize like, somebody's cheering and you don't like well what did i miss you know it's just <laughs> you just completely miss on miss out on everything when you try to to be present in all things mm. ongoing we we never b- because we're always trying to be everywhere we never take the time to slow down and live really in this our mental space or as dan siegel likes to to talk we never take the time to be mindful um, there's this sense of mindfulness we need to teach teenagers or adolescents because that's the kind of the stage where they're really becoming aware of who they are uh, emotionally and mentally, just as like the uh, opposite side of when you're a child, you're really becoming aware of yourself physically and and in that space and trying cognitively. But for teenagers, you need to become mindful and realize you exist um, internally as you do externally. And so teaching students to become aware of those things. And the best way to do that is actually to take the time to slow down and think. How many times have we, have we heard as teenagers or have we told teenagers you need to think before you act? Mm-hmm. I heard that all the time growing up. I always acted before I thought or I just acted and, and I never thought. Um, <laughs> it's just where they're at. And when you're, when you're living a life in the physical reality and you're living a life in the virtual reality, you don't ever take, you don't have the time to live in a mental reality. Um, So you don't ever have the time to sit and take a break. This is, again, scientific truth that they're proving is helpful to avoid distraction. And where do we find this instruction in scripture? Page one of the Bible take time to sit and rest and be with God and the created order. Um, He mandated that from the beginning, and we're just now getting to this uh, scientifically to see how important it is to sit sit and remember and think and take the time. It's incredible uh, that this is being backed by science. Uh, This is just an ongoing issue. The more we seek to be omnipresent, the more likely we will increase our need to be distracted. Increased distraction leads to increased feelings of boredom. So it's all this nasty cycle of issues. And like I said, it's a, just a constant spiral of going down. We feel this constant need to, to have information, um, to always want to feed that boredom monster, to always have enough to, to, to weigh off those feelings of being bored. Here's... Again, more, more statistics to, to prove that point. 
On average, Stanford University students spend 65 seconds on one screen. Half of those uh, switched switches occurred within 19 seconds. That is r- uh, roughly five times per minute. So s- these are Stanford, you know, crazy smart people s- only have the attention span to stay on a screen five times in a minute. I mean, it's just like they're constantly switching. At most, they spend 65 seconds on one screen, which is absurd. The average motivation to use your smartphone is, one, you are alone. You're just alone, don't know what to do with yourself. So 70, 70% of people s- agree with that. 68% of uh, people also say that they their mon- main motivation to use their phone is because they're bored. And the other one is 61% say they use their phone when they're waiting. Average pers- or average reason to distract yourself or switch tasks is because you get a notification, you receive a text message, which is 68%, and or that you're bored, uh, which is 63% people admit to saying that's the, the reason they choose to, to distract themselves. So, crazy. We have more opportunities to alleviate boredom today than ever before, but as society, we are more bored than we've ever been. Do you agree with that, Susan? Yeah, I do. I think it just looks different, so it might, like on first glance, and I'd be like, that's not true, but I think it just looks different than when you and I were growing up and we were bored. It was like there literally wasn't anything else to do. Yeah, I think there's more input to keep yourself from being bored, but I don't think it's it's nothing quality. It's like eating cheese puffs. It's like there's no substance, so it continues the boredom monster. Yeah, maybe a, a better way to phrase it is um, there's more complaints about boredom today than there ever has been um even though you you have access to alleviate that boredom more often maybe that's a way to think about it it's just like this endless feeling of like i'm i always feel bored the moment i'm not doing something and i try to to help it but as soon as i as soon as i stop trying to you know alleviate the boredom the boredom sets in immediately. It's like, it's almost like I constantly <laughs> have to be feeding it. It's like, that's the level we're at. Yeah. I constantly have to be feeding it unless I'm just going to start feeling it again. Yeah. We don't know how, we don't know how to take the rhythms of life anymore. It's like there's just mm-hmm. a constant hum of boredom and a constant feed of it until mm-hmm. I just fall down exhausted and finally sleep for those two to three hours a night. Uh, <laughs> Not me. I sleep great. Uh, I'm a great sleeper uh, because I can shut my brain off. That's probably because I hit my head too many times growing up. <laughs> really good at that. Me so too. We have this thing called like a pot- bottomless pit of of the boredom monster. Um, I, I'm, that's how I'm, I visualize it. It's just this monster just needing more and more. What's that one play or movie? With feed me see more. What is that? Oh, psh, little shop of horrors. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, that's kind of how I visualize it. <laughs> Venus flytrap just needing to be fed constantly. <laughs> but I asked this question: like, what is our bottomless pit? Um, and what they they've come up with is we have this need to forage for information. We feel we as humans have been created. And scripture backs this up. We've been created to learn and to grow uh, in knowledge and in wisdom. And when God created Adam and Eve, he's saying, I want you to learn and grow to be more like me. 
he didn't create us exactly as we are, but there's a whole process to it. And there's, you know, he's, he's not saying, I don't want you to know this. He's saying, I don't want you to know this yet. He's not saying no, he's saying not yet. But now that we have all this information in front of us, it's just like this endless ability to learn and to get, gain information. And we, we have become obsessed with acquiring knowledge because now that we have the access to it, we just feel like I can just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling until like forever. It's just like this endless ability for, for information. Like the internet, I mean, it's just endless. Like I, there's no end to it. Has anybody tried to get to the end, end of the internet? No. No. You don't think so? Like if they printed everything on the internet, how much? <laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't? Because I bet new stuff is coming out every day. Like yeah. it's like an endless cycle of new things. Yeah. Yeah, so one, one piece of scripture or one, one thing to think about when you're reading scripture is God created this world with parameters and limits, um, and he gave limits to us. Um, and with this information overload and access to just information endlessly, we're acting outside the bounds of which we're supposed to be as humans. It's no longer a process of growing and getting information. It's more like, just eat it as it's in front mm -hmm. of you um, with no parameters. Even from like scientific side, thinking about gravity and you know where we're able to travel and where we're able to be. I'm reading this book right now about, um, it takes place in the future like 10 years and teleportation has become normal. Um, and that, that's the only <laughs> difference. And it's, it's the only difference between now and then. It's like, how has the world changed now that teleportation is different? And it's so fascinating to see the parallels between that world and the world we're in now before we had the internet. Um, mm. There's just industries just wiped clean. There's just this lack of care for you know physical places. There's lack of like interest. Like you're no longer like enthralled or amazed by a sunset because you saw a cooler sunset mm -hmm. on your screen, you know? Uh, being in the moment yeah. is no longer a thing because you can just be somewhere at an instant. And I think this author is like somewhat giving a commentary to that, like something we've lost in this age and it's only going to get worse. And that's kind of like, I think that's what he's trying to portray in this fictitious story. But I really appreciate it because it kind of takes me out of this realm to think like that's probably how people would look at us now as they did mm. 30 years ago. Like, man, you guys have lost a lot by acquiring so much too fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, when you look at scripture, you know, there is just parameters around everything and God that God put there. And we really need to think not as those being limiting. Um, and even scripture says like that is actually one of the most fruitful, helpful things that God has put in our lives is, is the parameters that he set. You can look at the, the law that he gave to the Israelites, but now we have this parameter of, of Jesus, you know, following the life that Jesus called us to live and has allowed us to live, or you can follow the life that the rest of the world has to offer, which one leads to destruction and one leads to life. Science is backing everything up 
that scripture has to say, which is so fascinating because (laughs) they seem to be competing against one another. But it's I'm reading it as like God's like, I told you so. Why'd you have to wait so long to, to figure that out? So we have a we have a hunger and a need to fill this this border monster. We have this need to fill this information. We need to acquire um, information. And the reason that boredom leads to death is because it leads us to be distracted from what we truly should be focusing on. There is good news, so don't feel like this is all doom and gloom. There is such a thing as good distraction, what we've talked about, and we'll head that way. Uh, distraction will not always exist and will not need to exist. Um, we're not, we don't need to escape the, the harsh realities of this world. One day, you know, everything will be, res- re- be restored and we won't want to be distracted or need to be distracted from the hard things in this life. There are habits you can de- develop to pers- persevere beyond your worst distractions. There are ways out of addictions. And God has already written a plan for this. And we can't forget that. So that's a lot of information. And I know. I got to chew on it. It's yeah, so good. When I taught this specific class, it was the quietest class we had of the four because I think there's just so much information to, to just digest. And I really appreciate it. I, I also, like, given to the problem like we love information and I gave people a ton of information that's what I've just done (laughs) I I fed on that and I knew people would enjoy it but it's helpful information again to really think about not to be guilted or shamed to be like oh this is me that's me or that's so and so or to shame anybody else but just to sit in the reality of where we are in a society what are our issues um, and what is kind of leading us to those issues what is distracting us and recognizing there's a way out of distraction. And that's where we're headed next is like, how do we, how do we get out of this? Um, what's the process? What does scripture have to say about getting out of this issue of distraction or poor distraction? All right, Susan, any last words? <laughs> no, my mind's just in a spiral now of the thousand things I'm going to change to not be so distracted. Yeah. To be quite honest with you guys, there were a ton of distractions recording this episode. Um, <laughs> and I think the Lord was trying to do something with that. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I know the Lord will do something with that. Um, but yeah, man, we had the, the audio cut out several times. There's this weird feedback that we never have that's been distracting for me, but not Susan. My children came in to wave to me. Yeah. We're doing this virtually, which we haven't normally done, and it's just there's so many levels of distraction. So take this as a case study. Um, if you say this is <laughs> if you say this is a worse episode, you can tell we were extremely distracted. If you're like this was the best episode ever, it was to none of our doing, and the Lord was extremely gracious in that. So I just think this is so helpful. I think these are all things that we're so numb to, or we just don't care. Yeah. And I think this is helping me just want to say, like, I want to be more intentional with my mind, with my time, with my device. It's just easy to not care and yeah. slippery slope for sure. Yeah. So, and we're on a spectrum, but um, th- this is like middle of the road. Where does the average person land in our setting? It's just crazy. All right. Thank you all for taking the time to listen. We'll see you 
in episode three. Awesome. Cool.